I think it's important to talk. There is longevity in this industry. And again, the breadth of opportunities that I had coming out of school still exist today, right? So there are multiple different avenues that you can take. I think, again, I'd lean back on there is a real sense of community, right? There is the opportunity to learn and grow and really build up your skills. But I think it just offers so much for those coming out of school today and will continue to do so. You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Flipping the Barrel, a podcast where we interview leaders in the energy space to uncover and find out more about their career and life journeys. Today, we have Missy Alexa, who is the asset manager for the Eagleford and Gulf of Mexico for ConocoPhillips. Missy has over 20 years of industry experience in a variety of technical planning and leadership roles in the United States, Middle East, Canada, and Southeast Asia. In 1999, Missy joined ConocoPhillips as a reservoir engineer in Lafayette, Louisiana, and she has not left since. So that says a lot about Misty and a lot about Conoco, to be honest. <laughs> Misty, thank you so much for coming on. And we're really looking forward to diving into who you are, your career journey, and where you're headed in Conoco. Thanks, Jamie. I'm very happy and honored to be here. And I'd just like to say thank you to both of you for hosting the podcast and providing the opportunity for me to share a bit about my story and for others to share their stories. So I often find myself listening along to your podcast and nodding my head where I recognize some experiences, but also taking some nuggets away that I think about as I lead my teams and as in my career. So thank you both. Thank you, Misty, for that. And, you know, people will be listening to your episode today and they will be taking away, you know, your advice and your lessons learned. So you are inspiring a lot of people today. So let's get into your story. You know, you grew up in a small town outside of Billings, Montana. And both of your parents were not in the energy industry. And, you know, you witnessed your mom's inspirational career progression from a grocery store worker to a regional administrator. And, you know, your parents provided an unwavering support, motivation and encouragement. And just it seems like you had just such a fantastic family and they really did support you in all of your ambitions. And, you know, how did your childhood impact your decisions to pursue your desired path, even when it meant traveling across the country to pursue your dreams and, you know, stepping away from that comfort zone, which was your family? Yeah, so I have to give a lot of credit to my parents for when I where I am today. You know, I learned so much from them and how they supported each other, but also in how they supported both me and my brother. You know, I never heard from them that there was something I couldn't do. And they encouraged me and supported me to pursue my goals. And I saw that as an example with my mom as she pursued her career. Both she and my dad had jobs closer to home when my brother and I were growing up. But then my mom moved into an office manager role at a healthcare facility when we got older and then eventually moved into administration. And I remember studying with my mom as she prepped for her administrator exam and seeing the work that she put in to get where she did. You know, and my dad was behind her every step of the way through that process. My mom and dad are my biggest cheerleaders, but they also taught me that it takes a lot of work to get where you wanna go. 
you have to work towards it. So I knew going to college, especially across the country, private school, out of state, was going to require a lot of scholarships and financial aid. But I was okay with that. I knew how to work toward that. I had great role models in both of them as I was growing up. I really like how you explained your childhood and also your parents just being so supportive. Because in reality, when you actually went across you know, to start your schooling and you left home, you wanted to pursue a degree in law and you took that leap of faith. You moved across the state, your parents, even sight unseen, you went to Duke. And while you were there, you actually found a passion for chemistry and math. And then you quickly realized, wow, law isn't the right fit for me, even though you spent all that time and your parents dedicated, you know, that time for you to go and go do that. And that can be a really hard place for a lot of people. There's a lot of times when we go to university and then we realize, oh no, this is not the direction I want to go. But do I just stick it out because my parents had put so much time and effort into me getting here? You know, the scholarships, you start stressing about like, maybe I just need to just do it. Where you bravely decided to make the change to engineering after all this contemplating about it. And like I mentioned, making this change is very difficult. And there are times in life when big changes are necessary and being honest to yourself and others about this decision is crucial for your personal growth and fulfillment. Why did it feel like a weight had been lifted off of you when you made that decision? And for those listening and might be in a situation like this today, what advice could you give to them? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I've been reflecting on this time a lot and how it helped shape my career You know, I didn't have big dreams when I went to college. I went to a prestigious university all the way across the U.S. and was pre-law. So I had these goals of what I wanted to do, right? I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to move to a big city. And everybody knew about it, right? I'm from a very small town. So it's not like it was a big secret. You know, and I quickly learned through my classes that you're right, my passion, while I did well in most schools like public policy and my legal ethics classes, where I really excelled was math and science and I loved it, but I had this goal and I was going to Duke and you know, what would people think if that's not what I did? So it really all kind of boiled down to one thing. I could get through getting a degree at Duke, pursue a law degree, prove that I could do it while stressing out about how much money I was gonna owe at the end of the day and I'd never disappoint anyone. I say disappoint in the quotation marks you know, or I could reset my goal and go with something I liked or find something that fit with what I liked and was good at. And, you know, you're right. It was a big decision. And I fretted over this, right? I fretted over what I would tell my parents and what other people thought about at the end of the day, you know, but like I said before, my parents were as supportive as ever, right? So I told them and they basically said, okay, what can we do to help you get transferred, right? So all this fretting and everything that I'd done, it's like, what is I even worried about it? I knew my parents would be supportive. So I learned a lot from that experience. One, you're right. There was a weight lifted off of me because I found something that fit with my strengths. You know, I found a career. It just wasn't in law. And eventually I did end up living life in the city, but in a way and through experiences that made me a lot happier and were more aligned with what I was good at and passionate about. And two, I'm glad I tried. You know, I've said it before, even knowing that I would transfer, I'd probably do it all over again. You know, I had great experiences. I met great people. 
I saw a part of the country I'd never seen and learned a lot from the classes I took, but I also learned a lot about me and my ability to adapt in a new location and a new culture. And I think more importantly, I learned that when you're making big changes, lean on the support network that you have. You know, as soon as I told my parents who were my support network at the time, it made all the difference in the world and they were in my corner. And that's the same thing, you know, as you go through your career and you have your mentors and everything else, right? Learn how to lean on them and use that support network. Missy, I'm so glad you shared that because so many people at some point, whether it's early on or later, get into something like this where it's no longer serving them the purpose or it's not exactly what they wanted, but everyone knows that that was their ambition or that they wanted to do this. And it's always hard to back out of it just because of what is everyone else going to think. And it's nice that you had that early on in your career. And to your point, when you mentioned it to your parents, it was like, okay, what can we help you to transfer over? And when you realize that it's all in our heads, sometimes of even people won't even, no one's going to care that Misty switched over, like everyone moved on with their lives, you know, but I know in those moments, it does feel like that. And I'm so glad you shared that because so many people can relate to this or, or learn from this. And so, you know, when you transferred over, you actually ended up at Montana Tech. And, you know, tell us a little bit about that change and then your experience there, also including your brother's connection and the guidance of your professors and your first internship in the oil and gas industry. And, you know, kind of how that influenced you to pursue a career in the energy sector, which was not your first choice. And then another kind of question within that question is, what was your first impression of our industry? Because, you know, it's not like you necessarily had family members that were in it. You know, what did you think about it? Yeah, good question. You know, as I was doing all the research and soul searching about how to pursue a career centered around math and science, you know, engineering became an obvious choice. But engineering is wide open, right? It really didn't narrow it down any. So yeah, I leaned on my brother. My brother was going to school at Montana Tech. So he had firsthand knowledge about the engineering programs that were available there. You know, and he was learning about opportunities in oil and gas, which is where I started to first learn about oil and gas as even an option. But I can say I just didn't want to be in the same degree program as he was, right? Just a little bit of sibling rivalry. (laughs) So I started looking at different programs at Montana Tech. And when I did that, I found geophysical engineering, which really fit that love of physics and chemistry and math. And through that, there was also a professor there that I met in my first visit that had firsthand knowledge of the oil and gas industry and provided me a lot of guidance about potential roles in oil and gas. And it was through that first professor that I learned about the opportunity that led to my first internship, which is where I really started to get into more about how to build a career in oil and gas. And my first impressions of oil and gas were that there was so much opportunity. You know, I saw my brother and other friends that were in different degree programs that had internships all over the U.S. They worked for a wide variety of companies. They were all working on different types of projects and different things, you know, and I was able to be involved in different projects myself during my internships. So you start to see the breadth that the industry brings you. And I also had this sense of community as my first impression. You know, we had student chapters of the technical societies at Montana Tech, like SPE and SEG, you know, and active engagement and involvement in those, and also being part of those in my internships. 
wherever they were, to also just being part of the teams that I worked with during my internships. So seeing that level of community and just seeing the opportunities that were out there certainly encouraged me to continue to pursue a career in oil and gas. You know, you talk about community and, you know, supportive systems. I thought it was really game-changing for you when you took your role at ConocoPhillips. It was in a position where it was kind of outside of your experience of what you learned at Montana Tech. However, from the very start, Conoco gave you a mentor. And this was really a was really key to the success for you and the organization. It created a very supportive and welcoming environment for you. And this is one thing that I personally have not heard before on the podcast where somebody came in and then they were initially given a mentor at the very start, which for me was very influential on just how you had the opportunity to grow as an organization, but also feeling like you're a part of the organization right off by getting that support system. How did you having that support from the start influence the progression of your development at Conoco? And what is your advice today to continue to keep that culture as you were given that position and you had that mentorship at the beginning? Yeah. So as you mentioned, and it's a little ironic that I came into ConocoPhillips as a reservoir engineer, which is the same degree program that my brother was in, even though I had a geophysical engineering degree, you know, and I did have training when I first started, but I think I did learn the most through the on the job and through that mentorship, right? So as you mentioned, I did have a dedicated mentor and then built my network of mentors. But really what that enabled for me was that first mentor I had, he was able to anticipate what questions I had or where I might need guidance, which was so helpful because I was so new to that role that sometimes I didn't even know what to ask, right? So he provided that space for me to do that. I think it was critical to me, that mentorship experience in my development as a reservoir engineer. I think that was able to get up the learning curve faster because he and then the other mentors that I had really invested their time and provided that space for me to grow. So I think that dedicated person was really important for me as a new hire, especially since I was just learning the organization and I really didn't have a network yet. So the fact that he made the time to check in with me regularly, walk through topics and the projects that I was working on, but also share his knowledge of the company and point to other resources that I could go to, to learn more. You know, I've really tried to carry that through in my career I've had several experiences as a mentor, and I always try to make sure that I keep the time available and have check-ins with those that I mentor, right? It's important to do that. But it's also what I found through my mentoring relationships in the companies. It's not just me that provides guidance. I learn a lot from those that I mentor, right? They may, a lot of them are in different stages in their career, A lot of them may be in different functions. And so it's a learning experience both ways for the two of us. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technip FMC. Macy, you know what I appreciate about them as a sponsor is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast was to move the industry forward and they back that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. Beyond the DNI, they're also big into technologies. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. 
Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. Their core focus is on the energy transition, emerging materials, and digital industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like iProduction, iComplete, eMission, and iEPCI, go to technipfmc.com. And now, back to the show. I like what you said. It is always a two-way street for mentoring. You know, you learn from them, they learn from you. And I think for anyone listening who doesn't necessarily get a mentor assigned is find someone in the organization, whether they're a few years ahead of you, many years ahead, or even at the same level where you can just share advice, insights, how to do things differently, just someone to go talk to and, you know, through your experience. So thank you for sharing. Another thing we want to talk to you about, and it's very important for women to kind of listen in on this, is how to speak up about your career, your desires, your preferences, how you want to manage your work-life balance, maybe you have a dual career, maybe you want to do things a little bit differently. And women don't speak up enough, right? Because of just, we don't want to be that person that's always maybe telling the company what they want out of their career. But also, you know, we're afraid that speaking up might label us in a certain negative way because we're requesting for things. But also, when you don't speak up, it happens a lot that the companies or managers will just assume things for you and say, oh, well, Alexa just got married. So maybe for the next few years, she might not want this role, etc. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what you've done through your career regarding different international roles and, you know, managing your own dual career and having to relocate multiple times and voicing what you wanted out of your career? So I'll just start with a quick story that I've shared with many people when I talk to them about their development plans. My husband grew up overseas and was in oil and gas due to his father's job. So prior to our first overseas move, we talked all the time about the opportunity to go overseas and where and when and what would make sense for us. And Dubai was one of those places we both agreed would be a great opportunity for us, both personally and professionally. My supervisor was aware of this aspiration. So I had development discussions with him to make him aware of what I'd like to do and why I thought there would be good opportunities. You know, and on the other side, my husband and I talked through multiple scenarios of how things might play out if I did get a job in Dubai, since he worked for another company at the time. Then one day, you know, my supervisor came in and said, there's an opportunity for you in Dubai, and would you be interested? And I literally said yes on the spot. And he asked me, he said, do you want to ask your husband? And I said, sure, I'll confirm with my husband. And I did, but I was confident enough to say yes immediately when asked. Now, I'd say the point of the story is not for somebody to go take a role without talking to your partner. That's not what I'm saying. I think the point of it is that my husband and I talk all the time about what would or would not work for us as a family and from a development standpoint for both of us. And I'm open about that with my supervisor. And I have been throughout my career. You know, I talk about where I would be open to moving to or not, when I might want to move, how long we might be able to be apart What kind of opportunities do I think would help me develop my career? You know, and in this case, it led me to learning about that opportunity and taking it. I would say I've also, a lot of my conversations have been two ways, right? It's an active conversation with my supervisor 
to take their feedback as well as my mentors and understand feedback from them too about what development opportunities might be available and different ways that you could progress throughout your career. So I think being open to the multiple types of opportunities that would provide development. And I say opportunities here. I'm not one to kind of be like, that's my next job I wanted to think about. I think about, okay, I want to learn about this and I want to develop in this. And there could be a variety of different roles that could provide you that development. But also being open about what works for us as a family and discussing it with my supervisors and mentors over time, it's really allowed me to grow role to role. But, you know, it's also helped me develop when I'm in role. Mm -hmm. So there's been projects that have come up in the current role that I'm in that might provide me some of that development that I've talked about with my supervisor and that they knew I'd be interested in because I was willing to have those conversations. And I think it's been helpful to both me and my husband to manage our careers when opportunities have come up. And, you know, we've done the gamut. Sometimes we've moved together. Sometimes one of us has been rotating. Most often, maybe my husband, when the move happens, other times we might move a few months apart. And that's worked for us. But we've also been very open and honest about what does or does not work for us as a family. What I think is really important that you highlight multiple times is the communication piece especially when your supervisor comes up to you and gives you opportunity for such a role. It's a lot of stress when you haven't ever talked about it with your family. You don't know what they're going to say. You don't know really how you feel about it because you've never really thought about it. And then now you got to make this decision. And usually it's pretty quick. And the experiences that I have heard or seen, it's like you need to move in like a month. So then now you're trying to figure out like, this is something I want. Will my husband accept it or my wife or whatever the case may be? I think it leads to a very stressful situation And when it could be a very exciting one, whenever you have already talked about it, you already have ambitions, you already have aspirations to do it. So I really like that you spoke about like you pre-planned before you ever got the opportunity. And you also planted the seed so that they knew where you wanted to go, which is two very important things. And talking about that and talking about your career, and there's always this time where we start contemplating, do I want to continue to be an individual contributor? That's a great role to be in. Or do I want to take on a leadership role and manage people and really take a bigger piece of the pie when it comes to like overall responsibility? Because now you're going to have people underneath you. And you obviously opt to go to the leadership route. And I'd love to hear from you on, you know, what experiences did you have between the leadership individual contributor where maybe you had to change some of your skill set or some of the way that you approach things now that you're managing people, especially when when some of the first time when you took that type of role, it was overseas in Indonesia. So not only were you taking on a leadership role, but then now you're taking it in another country with a different culture. I'd love to hear from you on kind of also what you identified as being some changes that you had to make personally and then how you were able to adapt in that culture. Yeah, so I'll start by saying that, you know, as I was coming up in the company, I was open to both as a potential path, right? Whether a supervisor um, or whether remaining as an individual contributor. But I recognize both of them start in the same spot, right? In both cases, you're building up your technical skills. And I knew I wanted to have a strong technical basis so that if I did choose to become a supervisor, I'd have those technical skills to lean on as I learned how to lead people, which is a little bit different. 
yeah. how I landed on the path to becoming a supervisor was through other leadership roles that I had as an individual contributor. You know, I led some projects and some teams on different tasks, you know, and through leading those, it led me to realize I enjoyed it. It was something that was fun and motivating for me. But I also continued to develop different skill sets beyond just technical skill sets, you know, around listening and communication and influencing skills on how to get a team pulling in the same direction, which ultimately is how I landed on becoming a supervisor. Like I said, through those experiences, I could at least test it out and jump into that. And you mentioned the role in Indonesia. I think it was a great role for me to move into because it was leading a subsurface team, which is where my technical background was. So back to that conversation about leaning on those technical skills so that it was something to fall back on. And yes, it was a different reservoir. And yes, it was a completely different part of the world, but I understood the nomenclature and everything else. And so that helped me to focus on the leading people aspect of it. And I'd say that also helped me culturally, like, you know, geology and reservoir engineering is the same language in Indonesia as it is in the US, right? So that's a good starting point and a good place to be. And I found that a lot in the roles that we've moved into is there's always a commonality to start from where you can engage with the teams at a different level, no matter which culture you are in. I'd say I've learned a lot as I've continued to build my leadership skills throughout the different world. I think I brought a lot of those skills with me, like I mentioned, coming into my first supervisor role, but boy, they were different in how you applied them, right? So before I had a team, usually a ready-made team that was kind of given to you to go after a project. But when you're supervising a team, it's more than just one project that you're trying to shepherd. Everybody on your team now has a project. So now I've got to learn how to manage and balance workloads, you know, ensure I've got the right people working on different projects, manage moves in and out of the team, and what are the right skills that I need, you know, and more importantly is how to step back as an individual contributor, provide context to my team and let them run with the projects rather than jumping in myself, which is a skill that only grows as I've moved into other roles. And it's still something that I remind myself of constantly is provide that context and let the teams roll with it. To your point, it's an entire leadership journey. It's constantly evolving. You're learning and you're getting better through each role. And you learn something new from every single team and you kind of just build upon that. So yeah, that's awesome. You know, we wanted to ask a little bit too on the development of professional relationships and networks and how they've been influential in your journey as a leader and particularly the fact that you've had to move internationally and manage kind of the transitions with yourself and your husband. And you kind of, you need people to help you and support you all over the place at the end of the day, internally and externally. And, you know, networking has become this hot topic lately where it's like, you, you know, you need to build a network, you need to build a network. It's how you can really do well in your career. That's how you can be successful. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe how you've managed to build your network over the years and how it's influenced you in your career? It's been very important in my career, my network. I've have had the opportunity to move across many international locations and within the, within the U.S. So that naturally 
has built my network just because you're working with different sets of people. Yes, there's overlap a lot of times, but you get to know more and more people throughout your career. What I've found is that my network has helped me in every role I've been in. And it's different people at different times within the network. You know, I've sought expertise on a project that I, me or my team was working on. You know, I've asked for advice for a new role to help me get up the learning curve quickly or when thinking about taking a new role, you know, and I often reach out for maybe sometimes just a different perspective or a brainstorming session on various different topics. And those are probably just a few examples of the way I've been able to use the network in my career. And I mentioned that it's helped me navigate my career and think about development opportunities. If I'm unsure about a role, if I'm not sure about a location because it's not somewhere I've been, I reach out to my network, those in my network, to understand what that role might entail and talk through the development in that role or talk through what to expect when living in a different location. So I've pulled on my network a lot. I do think it's important to build that network, but you have to maintain it too. You need to maintain contact with those in your network, even if it's just coffee or lunch when it makes sense. You know, you can't probably with the networks and depending on the size they are, like I can't meet with everybody all the time, but occasionally reaching out and taking that opportunity if somebody reaches out to me, I think is important. And I encourage people not to reach out just when you need something, set up some time just to catch up. And that way it's not always that ask. And I often find that those times when you just catch up with those in your network sometimes lead to the best discussions and some insights that you weren't even trying to Mm -hmm. seek out, but it's just a natural progression of the conversation. And I'd say, don't always make those relationships one way. I can't always go out to my network and ask for things from people. You know, I need to be open to and available to them to support them and offer up my experiences and stuff in return when they ask. I think that's super important that you make sure it's a two-way, again, engagement and conversation and being available to those in your network too. I think both parties mutually benefiting from one another is important. I like that you really touched on, don't just reach out when you need something, because that can be one of the most frustrating things is that you haven't heard from someone forever, then you get a message and it's because they need something from you. And then at that point, you're like, oh man, like then that's not probably the best you know, networking skills that you're utilizing, right? So really glad that you highlighted both of those. So when it comes to taking roles in self-doubt, you know, there's a lot of times and Marcel and I have heard it many times, especially on people who come on the podcast and the advice that they give to those that are going through a situation like this is, you know, you get a role or maybe you're being offered a role. And the first thing you think is like, I don't know enough to take the role, or I'm not even going to apply for the role because I don't have enough experience. And what we have learned is that women tend to often do that a lot more than men, which begs to the change of why maybe women in managerial roles is not as far success as men are at this point, because we often think we have to be perfect in order to get the role. And you are an example of taking it on no matter what the circumstances. Can you kind of give some advice to those that you know, how can they overcome that feeling? And maybe an example of a time when you took a role where you didn't have the experience per se to be the right candidate, but 
you were the right candidate, no matter what the experience level might have been? This is really important to me. Every role I've gone into has required me to learn something new, which is why I moved into it, to develop. I never went into a role being confident that I knew exactly what it entailed and I knew exactly I had all the skills required for that role. You know, and some roles were more outside of my comfort zone than others, particularly cross-functional roles. But I had strengths that I brought into every role that I leaned on. And you asked for an example. So I'll talk through one. And I'd say it's probably the role that I think has challenged me the most, which is when I moved into an operations role. The majority of my career has been on the subsurface side. So moving into an operations role was new. I was excited about it. But at the same time, I was nervous to move into this new role. So because it was in a function that I'd worked with, but I'd never been in. So I leaned on my strengths going into it. I spent time with those in my network that had been in operations their whole career. And I'd call them up on the phone and get, okay, tell me like what I need to know. Because operations is a, again, a vast career is a vast universe, I'd say. I listened to my manager and sat down with my manager and I talked to my direct reports to understand what their goals were, what their challenges were. I built a plan to engage with the various groups. There are so many groups and so many crafts and functions, and each one of them is a bit different and brings a bit different ideas and strengths to the table. And I wasn't afraid to ask questions when I didn't know. I found a need to be humble and be able to reach out and say, okay, talk me through this. What is this piece of equipment you're talking about? What do I really need to do? But I was able to also share my development perspective on projects with the team. So again, we worked with each other many times, but may not have always understood the underlying objectives of each different discipline. So I could bring that different perspective. So if somebody came to me and said, they're not sure, you know, I'm not sure I know enough to take a new role. I think it's important to turn that around and talk about what they can bring to the role and encourage them to think about who in their network could they lean on to also support them in that role. I think a person may not have the exact technical skills for a particular job, but they can learn. And like I said, they have strengths and skills that they bring to the table. You know, they could be a change agent. They could be a big picture thinker. They could be an excellent planner, or they might bring that different perspective. They might bring really strong listening skills Everybody has strengths that they bring. And I think it's important for us to help people recognize that when they are talking about taking different roles is to think about what they do bring to the table. Recognize yet that, yes, there's going to be some development, but that's okay as well. But again, what can you lean on as you go into it to kind of help you get up that learning curve that much faster? And like I said, everybody has strengths. It's just a matter of you got to focus on those sometimes instead of, where you potentially see some gaps. I think everybody listening at some point just has felt this where they get a role. And I don't think anyone is always like, oh, I got this, this is so easy. It's a challenge for everyone. It's uncomfortable. You're moving into a new division, product line from you know individual contributor to leadership. So 
I really like what you mentioned. It's about kind of changing the mindset of what can I offer this role versus what do I not know and how am I going to fail at this? And so I really like how you mentioned that. And, you know, to close, we wanted to ask you, you know, you've had such a phenomenal career in the energy industry. You're still in the same company. You've had a global career. You know, your husband's as well in the industry. What would you tell someone who's about to graduate high school, who's kind of has no idea what they want to do or who are maybe studying engineering, but they don't see the energy industry as attractive? They might think, you know, oil and gas is dead. They only have 10 more years left. What advice would you give to that younger generation that might be considering a job in the industry, but is just kind of scared about the unknown? Yeah, I think it's important to talk. There is longevity in this industry. And again, the breadth of opportunities that I had coming out of school still exist today, right? So there are multiple different avenues that you can take. I think, again, I'd lean back on there is a real sense of community, right? There is the opportunity to learn and grow and really build up your skills. But I think it just offers so much for those coming out of school today and will continue to do so. We couldn't agree more with you. We feel like now is the time. And I know I'm sure every generation probably always said this to you, like now is the time, like oil and gas is, you know, going to be here. But for like really, even with all of the energy transition, energy addition, whatever you would like to label it as, you know, fossil fuels are going to be here for the long run. And it's really important for us to continue to influence those to come in and make a change in our industry. And if you're looking for a place to really make an impact, Yes, digital is great, but we have digital in the oil field as well. But on top of that, energy is really what literally fuels the world. And we're very passionate about that here at FTB as well, that we continue to educate our society around the amazing things that the oil industry does and the amazing things that companies like ConocoPhillips do. So thank you so much, Misty, for joining us today and coming on and sharing your incredible journey It was really refreshing to just hear from you and how you started out wanting to do law. I always thought that was so interesting. And then really taking that leap of faith to make that change, even at a time when, you know, a lot of us would be questioning, you know, what are others going to think? So really appreciate you sharing that and being open today on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. And thanks again for the two of you for hosting this podcast and, you know, making the space for us to share our stories. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, leave us a comment. We're going to have more amazing guests just like Misty on the podcast. So we will definitely catch you on the next one. Thank you. Thank you.